What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Rebunked. My name is Scott, and I've got a fantastic episode for you today. Really excited about this one, guys, but just real quick. Also, if you're new to the show, I just want to tell you how you guys can come support the show and follow the show. So the website is rebunked.news. When you log in for the first time, you're going to see a little pop-up so that you can sign up for the mailing list. I encourage you to do that just in case, you know, I disappear from all the other platforms. You can still uh, get uh, emails from me, you know, notifications about going live. Uh, At rebunked.news, you're going to see all the video platforms that I'm on. I stream generally to Rockfin and Rumble. And then from there, uh, Matthew Raymer over at Content Safe helps get my videos to BitChute and Odyssey um, and then uh, Bandot Video. So um, if you need, if you're a content creator and you need help getting your video plat- your videos out to multiple platforms, contentsafe.co or get in touch with me and I'll put you directly in contact with uh, Matthew. Um, audio podcast. So, you know, take a moment, subscribe on wherever you listen to podcasts, where it's Spotify, iTunes. Um, you know, leave a five-star review that really helps drive the show in, in front of more viewers. Um, and then the premium content's over on Subscribestar. So I just dropped a new episode. And ironically, um, I talked about uh, what I've been learning in the logic course offered to members at grandtheftworld.com. So, um, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I did a video, I did an episode with Crow Triple Seven, and a lot of that came up in that episode. So the stuff I've been learning, I've actually been able to apply in real life. So, um, we'll get into all that tonight in this episode. And then the best social media is Telegram, t.me forward slash rebunked pod. So uh, that's the best way to stay up to date with the show. And then, of course, any value for value donations at the bottom of rebunk.news. Also, at the very top, you can get a link to the T-shirt shop. we got all kinds of shirts brought to you by Big Frog T-shirts in Beaverton, Oregon, who are listeners of the show. They're a liberty-minded T-shirt shop right in the mix of all the craziness right outside of Portland, Oregon. So uh, by supporting by buying a T-shirt, you're supporting this show, and you're supporting a liberty-minded T-shirt shop in Beaverton, Oregon. So we got some designs like Compliance is Violence, We Are Many, They Are Few, I See False Flags, Can't Depopulate an Idea, or just the standard uh, you know show logo. So rebunk.news forward slash shirts is the website there. And then last but not least, Truth TRS is a heavy metal detox spray. You just spray in your mouth five times a day, and it helps absorb and eliminate all the heavy metals that have accumulated in your body and helps uh, drive them out. So it's a fantastic product. I've been using it for a while, and I can't say enough positive things. If you go to their Instagram at Truth TRS, you can see all kinds of testimonials and uh, just cool stuff. So, all right, guys, thank you so much for all that, for placating me while we went through all that. And without further ado, I just want to bring in the man himself, Mr. Richard Grove. Richard, welcome to the show. Thanks for the invite, Scott. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And um, I, since I'm a listener, uh, congratulations on your move, working with Ryan over there in Tennessee, right? Yeah. And I was going to wear my question anything or everything t-shirt, but I don't have one. I only have a sweatshirt and it's a hundred degrees here today. So I opted not. And I'm glad because we would have been dressed like twins. Exactly. So, yeah. Well, it's funny because whenever, whenever Ryan and I like, cause now he's one of my buddies, man, which is such a trip. You know what I mean? And like, we've gone to certain events and we always both wear the same shirt. So we're always in public together wearing this shirt. So it's just, it's just funny how that always works but anyway. But yeah, yeah and the, sh- the shirts inspire questions and yeah. uh you know that that's a good thing to have those conversations when you're out even if you're not yeah. together you know ld uh my producer he has a t-shirt shop too and if i wear one of his provocative designs out in public be sure to there's going to be comments there's gonna be questions mm-hmm. these sort of things and uh you better feel like talking that day because you're going to get engaged with more than if you just wear you know something else that doesn't exactly have a, a message on it exactly i'm all about sparking those conversations man so you know, it's an honor to have you on the show, Richard. You know, I've been following your work for a long time, like even before I even knew it, honestly. Like I I was I've been listening to the Peace Revolution podcast for a long time, and I kind of didn't put all the pieces together and then, you know, after COVID, I got uh onto Grand Theft World, and then I was like, "Oh, man." And I put all the pieces together. So I'm kind of new. I I I wasn't uh, involved with the Tragedy and Hope days, but you know, I'm just on board and like, man, like going back into your work is just so prolific. And so before we get too far into it, I was hoping, and I'm always curious when people have such a legacy of content and such a legacy of work, I always like to hear how you characterize yourself or would uh, introduce yourself to some of the listeners here that may not be familiar with your work. All right. So that's, that's a tricky question. Cause I tend I not to label myself to label oneself right. is negate your, your best aspects. But if I just go from form and function, um, I spend 85% of my week 
working with clients at our marketing and consulting company called Autonomy Unlimited. That's what's on my cup today, Autonomy Unlimited here. And then um, uh, the other part of that 85% I spend teaching uh, adult students, entrepreneurism, professionalism, culture of excellence, high value skills, Friday night and Sunday afternoon for about 10 hours. And then Sunday night, I host the Grand Theft World podcast. That's about 15% of my time. It's my activism. That's my hobby. And we cover the week's events. Uh, so it's like current events with the historical lens of context. And then my, my previous work, P Peace Revolution podcast I did for 10 years, that's evergreen content that you could listen to at any time that's going to tell you the who, what, where, when, why, and how of globalism, the people that are trying to eradicate freedom across the planet right now, and they're getting pretty good at it. And so between Grand Theft World and Peace Revolution, you've got the historical context, and you've got the real-time application of that, and you can see how the story and the narratives mutate and change, and these things maybe never go away, some of the things they're trying to do. So it's to help people keep their eye on the ball, make more informed decisions, uh, and lead to judges and uh, judgments and choices that they can take actions on and be satisfied with their results. So how to survive and thrive in the world. It's where freedom meets entrepreneurism. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. And I really want that to be a big focus of today's discussion because, you know, I've kind of, some of my listeners know, like I've kind of found myself now in kind of a new entrepreneurial zone that I didn't even really intend to be in. And I'll tell you a little bit about that backstory in a minute, but I like that model of like 85, 15. Like I talk about like 80, 20, kind of like, I like to get like 20% into the muck and the nonsense, you know what I mean, of the world, but then also try to have like 80% of solutions. And it's hard sometimes, you know, I'd love to have like a strictly solution-based show, but I personally love talking about, you know, the world economic forums and the, and the, the, the Joe Biden's of the world like that. I love doing that. So I, I don't want to like stray too far away from that, but I feel like if we're not offering solutions as well, then we're doing a disservice, you know what I mean? So like, I like to have that kind of balance, you know what I mean? And so, uh, that being said, I figured like having you here, you know, um, you're just such a wealth of knowledge and such an excellent resource when it comes to the nonsense going on. And then also the historical context with it, um, kind of just a big, broad overview question that I had. And, and, and you talk about it a lot, but I kind of like just want to get like maybe your take on it here today. I hear so many people talking about like what we're seeing in the world as like communism, the communists are taking over. It's communism, communism, this communism, that. And I feel like there's an element to that. Like, I feel like what they're driving towards is definitely a form of totalitarianism in general, but, but I feel like it's a new flavor. Like I've heard some people characterize it as like technocracy or techno fascism or something, but what would you characterize it that, that we're heading towards or what, what are you seeing from your perspective? All right. So that's a good question. So we're going to handle it by going up to the general and then we'll come down to the specific use case, right? In the generality, it's just collectivism, which is the denial of individual rights, and uh, an oligarchical plutocracy of rulers that rule over a bunch of slaves, right? That has been a human history story for thousands of years. I mean, Carol Quigley wrote a book, uh, Weapons, Systems, and Political Stability, that goes back 5,000 years. And you can see the relationship between governments having weapons and how they can control their populations, because that's, that's the name of the game. That's what foreign policy and economics, all these things are about controlling the population. Uh, what, what Plato called in his republic uh cybernetes or what we call cybernetics today the the steering of the ship of state the the helming and making decisions and then taking a whole bunch of other people along with you on that ride is the gist of it and they've gotten better at better so they use technology and technocracy is rule by technology right so you'd have technocrats which are like scientists making the rules for the future that's a movement but it's it's collectivist so socialism communism a lot of the isms are collectivist. They seek to remove the individual rights, but they claim the group has rights. Well, the group is a group. It's a bunch of individuals. Groups don't exist except subjectively. What you see in reality are individuals. And we attach a name group to that. Just like there's just a, there's trees. So a group of trees, you can call a forest, but you can't have a forest and deny that there are trees. Collectivism is saying there's a group, but we deny the individual. Mm -hmm. So communism is developed, you know, historically Marx and Engels kind of codified it, but those ideas existed pre Marx and Engels, but Marx and Engels are developing that as a counterbalance to capitalism, which was developed by the British East India company. And then the colonies happened to get onto that and then split away from the, from Britain. So as a way to subjugate or subvert American economics, this idea of collectivism was branded 
in the 1800s. And then slowly experiments were done around the world in various places. And now that same technology of getting people to acquiesce their individual rights, responsibilities, become dependent on a collectivized, centralized government, this sort of thing. That's what brings about the tyranny. The tyranny and the despotism is a symptom of the breakdown of individual uh, rights and existence and knowledge of self and acquiescing and saying what's best for the group is what is going to be done for, for me. So it goes back to a bunch of historical arguments like the lifeboat question. If you're 13 people in a lifeboat and it only seats 12, what are you going to do? And my answer would be some of us take turns in the water, right? But their answer is you got to kill somebody off, mm-hmm. you know? And so the group of people we're playing against are multi-generational sociopaths and psychopaths who are drawn to power and power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Absolute power would be an example of printing money out of nothing and indenturing America to, to $30 trillion in debt as an example. Right. Mm-hmm. So these types of, methods and measures have been part and parcel of human history they're part of the struggle for freedom if you don't have conflict you're not going to have freedom because their brand of world government and world peace is to take away everyone's ability to fight back or resist as an individual so yes it's not like the communism of the early 1900s but it's a brand of collectivism that is uh you know klaus schwab's got communist dictators on his shelf a bust of I think Lenin behind him. Right. So these guys are corporate communists. I used to call them cartel capitalists. Right. But they're like corporate communists playing in a capitalist market and rigging it, rigging it through tech companies and censorship and depersoning and all this other stuff so that they can flood the market with propaganda. And then people without comparison and contrast, they can't tell up from down, fact from fiction, black from white. And then they're they're owned. Absolutely. And, you know, I was at a meetup last night, uh, make America free again, make Americans free again. It's like Pam Popper, her, her, her thing. And, um, there was a couple like an older couple from Romania. Right. And, and I'm sure many people out in the audience maybe have had this experience, you know, meeting people who come from complete communist countries and, and ha- them sharing their story saying like everything that's happening right here is exactly what we lived through, you know, like the, the censorship and the disarmament and, and, the um, you know, controlling people with food, like this whole impending food scarcity that we're already kind of starting to see. I was talking to another friend last night who works at a restaurant and he says it's a high class restaurant and we are having trouble sourcing food and getting food. You know, it's literally coming. You know, the food that we're eating today was grown a year or two ago. You know, the food that's being like, like the farmers, like we're seeing it all over the world right now. Like there's a deliberate push to control our food. So yes, absolutely. Like they're running the same playbook from, you know, former, former, like they've learned and improvised and, and they're using new tools and technology in order to make it even more, uh, squeeze even more, you know? Yeah. I mean, in Europe, you had those atrocities with like, uh, Ceausescu and Tito and these, you know, kind of communist dictators taking away food from their, their citizens. And we always think it can't come here. It could never happen here. The whole reason it happened in these other places was so that they could bring it back here eventually. Mm-hmm. Just like they did this test in World War II over in Germany, uh, eugenics kind of project. And after the Nazis were defeated, they just brought it back here to America and they called it, they rebranded it. They called it molecular biology and it became very official Caltech, Rockefeller and the new science type of thing. So there is a history that is repeating and it might not repeat exactly, but it sure does rhyme. Right. That's what uh, that was Mark Twainism back in the day. History may not repeat, but it sure does rhyme. And we can learn a lot from the patterns that have just been done in the last 100 or 200 years because these people, they're not creating new moves, new plays. They just wait till it's like been too long and people don't know about that. And now they're going to bring in this. But when you look back historically, oh, they did that back in the 1920s or they did that to this other country in the 1960s. Right. So to be without this contextual history and the educational tools that couple that to provide the solution. Like people are stuck in the water. They're blinded. They, they don't know which way to go. And that's a helpless feeling. But as soon as you start to get your vision back and get mobility, you can make a plan of action and start achieving goals that takes away all the fear and all the panic and anxiety and stress and all these other things that people are stuck in right now. So I'm always just telling people like pick something, anything in the direction you want to go and take a step, take a step, try fail a couple times, Right. Then I know that you're trying for yourself. Then other people will come to your aid and see, oh, you know, here's how you take that next step. But you're not going to do it before you risk your and become vulnerable taking actions. Entrepreneurs are ones who take well calculated risks. So we have to take actions like that. We have to make some moves. 
Yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's probably a perfect segue out of the 20% of the dirt, you know what I mean? And, and into like really the meat and potatoes here, like here. And, and so this podcasting journey for me has been such an eye-opening experience. I've learned so much. I've met so many amazing people and like, I've had changed my mind on so many things and certain paradigms that I fully believed in have completely changed. You know what I mean? And one of the things like even very early on, you know, I kind of got a reputation for going out and bullhorning, you know, bullhorning these events and like, like interrupting live news broadcasts with a bullhorn, like that sort of stuff. You know what I mean? And, and I think there's definitely value for going out in the streets and fighting it head on. But then like, it would kind of occurred to me that like, you know what, that's now we're playing on their territory. They want like some sort of like hot civil war. They want something like they want some sort of like, you know, January 6th times a million. You know what I mean? They could argue that January 6th didn't go off nearly as much as they wanted to, but they still ran with the story. <laughs> you know what I mean? That sort of stuff. They want that. But really, the way to fight and the way to to uh, really have any sort of victories in our own personal lives is actually go the opposite direction and build lives that that require less involvement with the system and, and you know, to, to insulate ourselves from those and things like entrepreneurship completely eliminate our dependence on any sort of job that's going to require me to get a shot in order to receive a paycheck, you know, things like that. That's where the solution is, you know, building community, building our own food supply lines, you know, have a direct like connection with the farmers or the people that are, that, that have the livestock so that you don't have to rely on whether or not a grocery store chooses to have groceries on their shelves. You know what I mean? Like, like that is the solution. So that's where I've been spending a lot of my focus the last couple of years. So do you have any thoughts on any of that first? Before I yeah, I think the um, we there's a lot of a lot of research, a lot of, a lot of my productions tell you about the problem. Okay, mm -hmm. good. If you know that there's a problem and you're looking for a solution, what do we got to do? Okay, you need food, right? Do you have? Are you renting or do you own a property? If you own a property, are you growing food on your property or are you poisoning away and committing genocide to keep green grass and perfect lawn? Because that's not gonna that's not gonna help you in the future. But fruit trees, a beehive. Uh, raised bed gardens, hydroponics, all this stuff that's available, permaculture especially, right? Start yeah. getting a plan together, right? It might start with just like, let's buy one plant and plant. Oh, look, the tomato plant's growing, honey, right? What else could we plant here, right? There's uh, so the food aspect, right? And then there's the economic aspect. These are, these are the two places people are going to get pinched over the next year, right? And if you yeah. work on the economic aspect, to some degree, it helps you in the food aspect if there's something available to buy it helps you afford what's available, right? So schooling doesn't teach us how to build value and offer it to the world. And therefore you have to look for a job, which is someone, someone else, someone else who knows how to do what you don't offering you something you can't do for yourself. That's the situation of the paycheck world. And I participated in that for a long time. It was very lucrative, but it, uh, it had a, a glass ceiling I wasn't aware of. And all of a sudden I was off in my own world, uh, learning how to audio edit and produce and podcast and, you know, communicate the research that I had accumulated, accumulated over the years. So knowing how to go get a job. Yeah. That's, you know, it's not, it's not going to be either, or for most people, it's also in throughout their life. So you need to know how to find a job that you want, how to get an interview, even if they're not hiring, how to get into that process, how to make them an offer they can't refuse. Hey, I see here, if you did X, Y, Z, you guys could bring in $2 million. Why aren't you doing that? We don't have the manpower. What if I did that and took 10%? Can I get paid 200 grand for that? Yeah, let's do it. You have to know how to make an offer. You have to know how to see opportunity. You have to know how to verbalize and transact and, and take no for an answer. Take that objection and go come back to them with a the resolution and try again, right? So these elements of entrepreneurism, <clears throat> I learned early in college because I was trying to pay for college. I was mm -hmm. one of those chumps. It's like, I'm going to go to business management school, get a degree and get a job. And then I learned during that process that wasn't going to work out. Like I saw what we were learning. I'm like, you can't run a business with this. And then I went and invested $5,000 in myself and bought into a franchise to teach me how to run a business, to give me a mentor, to give me accountability, give me sales skills and all these things that I needed. And then when I did graduate college with my useless degree that I never had to use to get a job, I just showed them my sales numbers at any place I wanted to go, I could open a door, I could call a CEO and get a meeting for lunch, right? And then from there, they make offers. They need to pay paychecks. Paychecks come in from salespeople and universities don't train sales. And there's not too many people like myself who invest $5,000 to go learn a skill like that. Mm -hmm. So I ran the table for several years and it was, it was good, but it wasn't very, it wasn't uh, meaningful. I'm helping corporations do like IT stuff, right? I'm selling software to big faceless corporations. 
the people there, yeah, I'm helping them, but they just work for the corporation. They get the paycheck. If they didn't have a paycheck, they wouldn't be there. So it was kind of like hollow, superficial. It was very lucrative. So on the flip side, what I've done for the past 20 years is much more meaningful, substantial, relevant, evergreen, valuable to others. But it's not something that I ever would have got into without like a little whistleblowing experience in between. Uh, and I wouldn't trade it. I've said many times, like, you could offer me $5 million to go back to work and do that thing for 80 hours a week at the, the office and travel. And No way, dude. Quality yeah. of life trumps that. And if I got my needs met and I can do whatever I want with my time like I have for the past 20 years, thank you, but no thank you. I know the value of life as opposed to those Federal Reserve notes you use to trick people into those jobs. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it's yeah. amazing, man. It's amazing. So I, I was hoping to tell you a little bit about my recent like uh, encounter with entrepreneurism and then kind of do because I could probably help. I've made a lot of big mistakes over the years, so I could help you avoid a couple probably. Totally. And and for anybody out there listening, you know, this is something that I've been talking about a lot on the show. So I had a friend, Dean Reiner, who's a host of the Up is Down podcast on my show, and uh, he did something similar. So I just moved to Nashville from Oregon. Right. So I'm in Nashville, Tennessee right now. And uh, I started applying for jobs like in my field. I've been working as a drug and alcohol counselor for the last, you know, several years. And, and uh, part of my reason coming out here was that they didn't require the shot to do that. <laughs> so um, and my, my license kind of transferred straight across with Tennessee. There was like reciprocity between the two states. So I came out here and I was applying for jobs and uh, there just wasn't anything exciting. Nothing was really landing in my lap. And so I had my friend Dean on. Uh, who just moved from Portland to kind of a rural area. And he was telling me about how he just basically made a post on Facebook and like put a, like a flyer up at like a feed store saying how he had a truck and some tools and was available for some handyman work or whatever, you know, I'm like, that sounds cool. I got a truck. I got some like a hammer and some, some basic tools. Like, so I'm going to do that. So I made a Facebook post basically saying that, you know, I got a truck and some tools. I'm available to help around people's property, but also I'm looking to network with other people who are living a more agrarian lifestyle because I'm hoping to kind of move in that direction. Um, I kind of just landed here and rented a room inside the city, but uh, I kind of put that out there into the world. Right. And man, it just blew up. I literally got like hundreds and hundreds of responses from people. And I just like filled my schedule with jobs where I'm just like able to choose, pick and choose what I want, charging like a premium rate. And I've since partnered with another guy who was a listener of my show. Shout out to Jim, uh, thecarpenterbee.com. So anybody in the the Nashville, the greater Nashville area, if you guys need like bathroom remodels, like we're doing it. So now we're doing like full bathroom remodels. And it's like, so I've been saying basically, I just like accidentally started my own handyman business, which is just crazy. It's just crazy. And now I'm just like, I'm not looking back. I got, I got a taste of it. I got the bug. I got the bug of like being my own boss, picking and choosing what I want to do and looking at like, okay, how can I grow and scale this and, and kind of network with other local entrepreneurs, which I've already started doing. It's just like this whole thing. Like it's just blowing my mind. You know what I mean? And I feel like I'm almost just like along for the ride at this point, but it's a trip. So right, that's cool. Kind of, that's, yeah. that's, that's a strong start. Cause you took them, you made a move and you didn't yeah. care if you failed and you know, it's yeah. a numbers game. You're going to fail 990 times, but you get, you know, 10 successes out of that thousand that's your living, right? So yeah. the first thing you could do is you could have a link to schedule you. So like okay. to, to smooth out the, and you could have someone actually book the deals and put them on your schedule. So you're just going out and doing your thing, right? And there's some notes with it, right? So you could have a booking agent that would help you facilitate and streamline that. So you can always just be hands-on because that's the highest and best value of your time. But qualifying those deals, which ones are right for you, you might want to be in on that process. So maybe once a day you check in with your booker to see which one, oh, this is a deck, right? Now that leads me to my next thing. You're new at this. That's not a problem. There's a lot of things you don't know how to do, right? That's mm -hmm. not a problem either. This stops people all the time. They're like, I don't know how, but dude, you just said you had a hammer in a toolbox and the willingness to market and find people in need. It doesn't mean you have to supply them with the labor or the service. Mm -hmm. You could just be ringing up referrals. Hey, siding guy, buddy of mine, I found you two more this week because mm. I have an incoming flood of leads because I know marketing. Hey, roofing buddy of mine. And then after you do this, they're going to be sending you leads. And when you need a roof or when you need siding, you get that stuff for free because you know how to make those guys go burr with the with mm. the leads. They don't know how to do that for themselves. Right. Um, so what I would do in your situation is I would create like a, a mega funnel that would attract a lot of leads your way. And then have some parsing and, you know, go find the best roofing guy in the area. Mm. Go find the best siding guy. Go find the best sidewalk and pavement. Go find the best plumber. Take them out to lunch. 
spend 50 bucks on lunch to introduce yourself. They're going to remember you and they're going to want to reciprocate. I don't know how to help this guy, but I feel like he's helping me. I want to help him. Then, you know, uh, start asking, hey, do you need a handyman for that? I know a handyman. So you get the reverse referrals, but you have it's like um, the way I teach it in autonomy is it's a siphon principle, right? So you have to prime the pump or you have to put some water up through the siphon hose in order for the water in the tank to drain out. Are you familiar with that concept, Scott? Uh, you know, just your your description, your characterization of it just now in context of what you were describing makes sense, but I guess I'm not 100% familiar. So you never had to take a hose, put it into a, a car. Oh, I'm familiar with that. Yes, yes, yes. Hose to get yeah, the no. yeah, yeah, right? We've all had gasoline in our mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Smart, uh, at one point or another in life. And uh, the, the siphon. So you got to prime the pump to get that to work. So the way I recommend is go do service for someone you want to work with. Mm -hmm. Bring them some useful leads. You know, if there's a guy... If I'm if I'm doing because one of our clients is like uh, wealth management and finance, if he needs leads, go find the accountants that are having these meetings and go present to their accounting meeting. And then they're going to start recommending you for when their clients need wealth management or transition out of their business. Right. The four to 14 different ways you could exit out of your business, these sort of things. Right. So understand your needs. Yes. But needy is creepy. So how do we bootstrap ourselves to get started? Well, I know how to go pitch that guy's deal. There's someone who needs siding. There's the siding guy. I know how to put those two things together. Mm -hmm. That's how you bootstrap. Even before you have experience or testimonials for your own work, you can start spotting work. Why is your house unfinished? I've seen it has, you know, the wrapping paper on it for the past two years. Oh, we can't afford siding or the siding guy went out of business or he had a heart attack and said he'll come back later. Find out what the reason is. Give them a better plan of action. They'll likely take it. You don't have to be pushing, convincing, persuading, conniving, any of that stuff. You just have to ask some smart questions, listen, and then connect people with what they're looking for. It's yeah. pretty simple. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. And, and you know, the other thing, too, that I really want to get your take on, too, and because and, I know you can, this has been a big part of your background, is just like I'm feeling within myself, you know, it's like, okay, when you have a job nine to five and you got like you punch a clock, or you have a steady paycheck, like there's some security in that, right? It's mm -hmm. like, it's like, oh, that's comfortable. That's what I'm used to. You know, I've never ventured out here into the unknown to do this. And I feel like I'm just pr pressing right up against like that, that very primal, like indoctrination of being like, no, you need to have a job. You need to have a steady paycheck. You need to have health insurance. You need to have all these things and, and going out and venturing into the unknown is scary, you know? And it, it's yeah. almost like it's, it, it's very scary. And it's like, that's, that's, that's how they got us. They got us like almost checkmated into a position where people across the board are, are, aren't, willing to go out and take that leap of faith and invest in themselves or take a risk and, and, and trust their own skills or their own, uh, you know, their own, their own ability to do anything outside of just the nine to five slave system. Right. All right. So it's like a cattle shoot and the walls of the cattle shoot on one side, it's fear on the other yeah. side, it's pain. And unless you go through fear or pain, you're going to end up where they want you to end up, which is someday getting told, sorry, we're laying you off. We have to downsize. Good luck. Yeah. And then you, your family, your kids, your life is up. Uh, like it's up, it's upheaval, but it's not on your own schedule. At least when you run your own business or you're making your own offer, like you got self-responsibility. So the answer to your question is I almost got scared out of entrepreneurism back when I bought that franchise. Cause mm -hmm. I told my parents, Hey, I want to do this thing. And they scared me out of it. They're like, why don't you work for the franchise first? Right. And that lasted like six weeks before the guy I was working for quit. And then I bought his franchise and that's how I actually got in. So they talked me out of it because they're like, you need a paycheck, you need health insurance. You would get these things like you would get uh, the paycheck if you worked. But if you're the owner, you might not make money and lose your money. And they no one in my family had ever run a business. So that yeah. was the party line. And it worked on me for six weeks until I found myself like doing some 40 or 50 foot up on the ladder getting stung by bees in a hundred degree sun and i'm like why am i doing this I could, I could be running this thing instead of just being <laughs> totally. a worker on it right so being able to go through that fear that awkwardness that unknown is what opens up opportunity it's right on the other side of all those things people are looking for it it's on the other side of something called work and thoughtfulness and service to others right so it's those those are right there for the grabbing if you get into the paycheck you got the benefits all these things and you don't know how to do that for yourself you're captured. Yeah. If you know how to do it for yourself, you say, I, I know how to do it, but it's too much work and I'd rather go have a job. That's fine. You do that because now you've done, you've, you've tried. Right. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people would say, why would I go to that job when, you know, I can make better opportunities for myself? I mean, personally, I ran a small business for a couple years in college. I sold that business to my brother. I had like 25 employees at one point. 
that was good. But that's not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, which is why I sold it to my brother, who's younger than me. And then I took the skill set that I had learned from that franchise in the corporate world. And I paid a lot of people's paychecks with that because I earned a million dollars myself. And that's just the commission. So let's say the other 90 percent, nine times that amount went to other people's paychecks so they could buy food and pay their rent, all these things. Right. So that was good. But like I said, it wasn't the highest and best use of me with that skill set. It was just where I was getting paid a lot of money. Right now, that's very tempting to stay there with that skill set. I also knew if I can close a $5 million deal for my client or my employer, why can't I do that for myself? Oh, I don't have the products yet. I don't have the services yet, right? When am I going to do that? Should I maybe design that? If I can sell a $5,000 web server to companies and make enough commission to make several hundred thousand dollars a year, can't I invent a $5,000 product that gives people twenty dollars or $30,000 worth of value and sell that all year? Yeah, probably could. Yeah, definitely. Now, took me a long time to like develop that and bring it. I mean, it took over 10 years to bring a product like that to market. But ever since then, uh, I think of everything in terms of how many enrollments do we need to conquer that problem? If we want to hire somebody new, all oh, we need two new enrollments and that, you know, so when you can start thinking in bigger numbers for years, we had a $15 subscription to tragedy and hope online community for like, I don't know, 15 years. If you have a new new problem in your life and it's $5,000, how many $15 subscriptions do you have to get to balance? It's not easy, dude. We struggle. Yeah. yeah, That's not a model that I would recommend to people. However, when you have something of higher value because you put more value into it and people will exchange it you know, at higher numbers, it's a whole lot easier. So what I tell clients and what I tell students is if you come in to me and you drop a $20,000 know, bill that I'm not expecting, $20,000, you owe this. To me, I got I got to take my offer and go to market. If you add a zero and it's two hundred thousand, I got to take my offers and go to market. Maybe do some affiliate marketing, reach out to some people. If you add another zero, it's two million. I got to solve the problem the same way. Mm -hmm. But if I don't have an offer and I don't know how to take it to market, I'm dead in the water at any of those stopping points. And that's what keeps people from succeeding is not being able to have the cash flow to get over the obstacle in front of you. And I'm saying, here's how to have a bucket. Go down to the river, get as much water as you need. You're not going to spend all your time getting water out of the river just because you have a bucket. Some people do. They're like, I'm collecting. Okay, but well, what are you doing with it? Water is a nourishing thing for life. What are you doing with that currency? Are you nourishing life? Are you growing food? Are you, is your family healthy and happy? Are you guys together? Like, do you have a path in front of you that's the, writing your own script in life instead of showing up every day to see what somebody else write, wrote for you to do? So these are, I, I'm not recommending one path or the other. I'm just saying there's more than one path available. They show us one path only. I like to see what happens when people have choice. I think that's the expression of freedom. Without that choice, you don't really have freedom. Yeah. And so yeah, freedom exactly. and entrepreneurism, it's a convection current of causality. One feeds the other and you can't have one without the other. I know. And then as they continue to erode these freedoms or, or these like protections of our rights or supposedly, which they're supposed to be there in the beginning to do, you know, as, as we continue to progress down this road where our, our, our freedoms are diminishing, it's going to be more important than ever to take charge of this stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be in a position where I have to, because I had that situation in Oregon where my job went away because I wouldn't take the shot. You know, I don't want to be in that situation again. You know, it's so important that we learn these 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 skills or just like to learn intrinsically what values we have you know obviously with the show i'd love to scale the show up to the point where it's something that i could do to support myself full-time but i'm still having a tough time wrapping my mind around how to do, like navigate that you know what i mean and i'm working on it and I'm, I'm trying different things but uh but but that's so much of like it sounds like what your autonomy course is so much about you know is to come up with that that value statement right like am i am i on the right track with that can you tell us well, a little bit about what autonomy is yeah so after many years of encountering the problems in our society and reading books by like John Taylor Gatto's whole body of work says school is a prison system. It's not an education system. It's an indoctrination system. It's not there to help you survive and thrive. It's helped you to find a place useful to your rulers in their infrastructure. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a problem. And I realized that I had been taught part of the solution back in college when I bought that franchise. And they taught me how to hire, how to fire, how to sell, how to close deals, how to customer quality assurance, uh, product selection, economics, all that stuff, right? That's a very liberating and high value skill set. But it's not what people need first. First, mm -hmm. you need like unindoctrinated from the unuseful ideas. 
learned helplessness, believing that you can't learn new things to improve your life. Scarcity mindset, believing that you don't have the capacity between your ears to think of new ideas, invent and be curious and, and discover new things. Right. Uh, there's a whole bunch of these things that do not serve us. They're beliefs that are not true, that bring us no value. So I ask students, hey, let's let's go through this 12 week course, and maybe put those down and see what happens. So twice a year, I teach a 12 week training course. And in the beginning is the unindoctrination from the unuseful ideas. But then we add on how to learn anything that's called meta learning. Right. So there's a three step repeatable method you could apply to any area of life. So now you know how to learn anything. And then hyper learning would be taking that how to learn anything and applying it to the Internet and applying it through mentorship and coaching to, to draw human experience and value and draw from the Internet to see what you could find out. Right. Mm -hmm. And with those two capacities, now you have the ability to have uh, to meet and greet really interesting other people and to ask them substantial questions and to be a good listener to find their need or their problem that they're discussing and seek help with and to help them make a better plan, right? So in week three, they learn how to meet and greet other people. Here's an interview exercise. Here's a structure and you practice it with at least 10 other students. You're gonna get to know each other on a much more substantial level than any place else you've been in life, whether it's church or school or work or whatever. No one's having these conversations the way that they're structured in this course. So that breaks open everybody's introversion and everybody's just having a grand time. And now it's like, okay, now let's get serious and use those connections, learn how to learn, learn how to make an offer, learn how to close a deal, learn how to do marketing, learn about the technology stack that every entrepreneur uses to do business on the internet. And if you're not interested in being an employee at a company, though some are, and I teach them how to get a job, how to get a raise, how to get a moving package, that sort of stuff. Some people want to be entrepreneurs, but some people want to be freelancers who help in that tech stack. The copywriters, the marketing, the graphics, the, the DNS resolution IP stuff that I outsource, right? I used to wear all these hats all the time and it kept me dead in the water. I can't function and be creative and do the highest and best value of my talent if I'm trying to do QuickBooks. So over the past several years, I uh, function. The, one of the functions of autonomy is we have graduates that are a culture of excellence that work and play well together and they have high value skills. So as a function of teaching this course, uh, over the past seven seasons, uh, I've outsourced almost everything except my core work, right? So I, I, I work at this desk. I work at the teaching studio behind me at the sit down desk. I do client calls walking around outside on my phone with my family outside. And uh, I have a high quality of life. I'm getting a ton of value out to the people who participate mm -hmm. in that system. I mean, I put hundreds and hundreds of hours and they're getting all that time. So the, the students who sign up, who take that leap of faith in themselves, that they're not going to quit on one thing, just go through these 12 weeks and don't quit on yourself. They get stupendous results internally, but they also love the other people that they're meeting the whole time because now you're, you know, talking to reasonable, logical, caring, thoughtful people in a fear-free zone where we kind of help each other learn our way forward. So I took what they took out of education to make it into schooling and I put it back in. And then I added a whole bunch of high value skills that I used to earn a million before I was 30. And that anyone else, it's not rocket science. Like if I just show you, you'll be like, oh, I could do that. I'm like, exactly. This is why they keep these, this information away from you because it would make you highly mobile. It would give you upward mobility and challenge the status quo. They don't want that. This is why people were dumbed down over the past century in the first place. They can't control us at our highest capacity. So they'll dumb us down. So we're just all assuming that what we're told is true and then we're that's deep capture the american population and the world population yeah definitely like this is the deliberate dumbing down of america right as mm -hmm. they say like this is a strategically implemented very well calculated attack that has been implemented generationally on us right and we're just like there's, there's a segment of us that are just now awake awakening to that fact right and now it's about breaking that cycle within ourselves our families our communities and showing others that there's a different path, you know, but and if nothing else, last couple of years, so many people that I've known, you know, through all, all the groups I'm involved with, that's like the common theme. You know, I don't have kids, but, you know, hopefully that's in the in the cards in the next few years. But so many of my friends do. And then that's kind of the the theme that I'm getting these kids out of the public schools, man. Like what a horrible like like people are waking up to it right and left. But what a vicious attack that has been done to us. Right. And they go after the youngest among us. They know yeah. if they can shape the next generation. And they've said this before. So I saw a really good clip last week. It was from like 1996. It was a John Birch Society clip. And he is apologizing. The speaker at the podium is apologizing to Charlotte Iserby. Mm -hmm. 
he said, because for years I have said, I understand people are being dumbed down, but I fought that it was, I fought against it being deliberate. And he came to realize by the mid nineties, he's like, Charlotte, you're right. It is deliberate. This is an organized top down plan from the people who wish to shape the future of this planet. And they're not asking us what we want. Right. Yeah. It's like they're making a dinner and hoping we're going to show up to eat, but we might not like the menu. Yeah. And yeah. it goes back to the answer of all this. Right. So once you know about the problem, then get your skills on, build your own network and get away from that problem. Get a homeschooling, you know, uh, they, they call them pods or, you know, group of families homeschooling, right? You can create a personal membership or private membership association, a PMA, structure a homeschooling group or a pod. Like we're part of one. It's 100 families around here. Wow. So there's a lot of, you know, really upwardly uh, uh, like the, the project, the projection of these kids is so much more uh, quick on the uh, acceleration upward. Mm -hmm. Once they start to read, now they're reading interesting things, not what the school's prescribing. Right? So these are some of the smart, smartest kids that I've been around as an adult to see, you know, because I've I've seen other public school parents and their kids are all just in devices and stuff, oh, you know, and yeah. they're they're hooked in. But the the hope is more people saw during the pandemic what was really going on in schooling, mm -hmm. that they get the confidence to be like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to pull my kids out. Like my doctor pulled his kids out of school and started wow. homeschooling. So like there was a lot of things uh, during the pandemic that bring hope because once you have the kids being educated around the parents again and them having input instead of the state, mm -hmm. that's going to help to heal this whole situation because you couldn't have the wokeism that you have right now had you not artificially separated those parents. And they're off to work in the cubicle all day trying to get the paycheck from the kids who are then watching, you know, MTV or hanging out, you know, doing whatever online these days. And they just get propagandized before they can figure out how to think for themselves. A lot of us did. Like yeah. I didn't get a method for critical thinking at an early age, but I found it useful when I did, uh, you know, come across it. I was like, Oh, this is a tool I've needed my whole life that I could be using every day. And yeah. I do use that tool several times a day. And that's yeah. the thing, evergreen tools that you could learn and use every day for the rest of your life that are going to improve your buoyancy in this uh, precarious situation. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. So, uh, you know, definitely on my bucket list to do the autonomy course one of these days. So that's getautonomy.info, right? For people to go learn more about that, right? Yeah. The landing page is technically getautonomy.info forward slash ignite. So oh, yeah, if you okay. go to what we call the ignite page and then you'll see uh, it's transparent. So there's no trickery. You can keep your credit card in your pocket. It's actually a hard course to get into in a short period of time. So we like people to make a decision over a longer period of time because then we know they'll stick to their decision and not quit on themselves. Totally. Totally. So if they, if you can make it through the obstacle course, then the course would deliver you amazing value. Yeah. That's awesome, the challenge. Man. I love it. And, uh, and so the other, the other piece of the puzzle here that I mm -hmm. want to make sure people know about is Grand Theft World. Right. So it's a fantastic sure. show. Like you guys, like every, like, I don't know, I don't know how you do it, but like you pull off like a seven, six, seven, eight hour live stream every Sunday night till the wee hours of the morning, just breaking down all the news of the week. And it's a fantastic show. And I encourage everybody to go check it out. But not only that, but, but the Grand Theft World community too. Now, this is something that I'm a part of, you know, uh, I mean, no kickbacks for saying this. Like I see so much value, like out of all, like I, I, I support several other platforms, but the value like you talk about is just unheard of for the Grand Theft World community, right? So not only do you have like the community discord, but um, you know, Tony, your co-host, Tony Myers, like hosts a bi-weekly uh, town hall where everybody can just get together on a big Zoom call and just hash out all the crazy ideas and all the crazy stories of the week. But right now I'm personally going through his logic course that he posted. And I got value out of that because I, like a couple of days ago, I interviewed Crow Triple Seven, right? Who's uh, yeah. just like, you know, so such a high level thinker and very esoteric. And I'm like, God, I don't even know how I'm going to hang with him at, at his level. But we started talking about like, you know, like one of the things that I went down, maybe you can get your thoughts on this. Like what we're, what we're going into is like this AI controlled, just uh, like insanity, right? Where they're going to try and convince us that we have sentient AI running everything. And then therefore since it's online and sentient, it knows better than all of us stupid little humans with our little primitive brains, right? The AI knows everything. So I was like, oh, this is like the ultimate like ad vericundium, like appeal to authority. We can just turn over all of our thinking over to the AI that knows way better than us, right? So that's like the biggest logical fallacy ever is this impending AI controlled, just a uh, totalitarian nightmare that we're descending into, right? The ultimate logical fallacy. They have <laughs> planned Logan's run for your future. 
Yeah. Now, when I was a kid, that was a movie that was like it came out in 1978. So the year after Star Wars, you can see a sci-fi movie with not so amazing special effects. It was really awful. But it basically the gist is they have an AI computer. It takes over the, the whole civilization. And the AI says, well, we don't have enough resources, so we have to kill everyone at age 27, but we have to make them think it's fun, so we'll call it Carousel, and they'll all come to it like a party, and that whole movie's about like that, and then two people who decide to see if that's true, and they escape the society to find the actual real world. So um, they did plan on remaking that. They might have, but that's mm. what that's – what, there's a lot of foreshadowing in that plan of what they're doing. A lot of dystopic movies like that, but that's a good one that most people haven't seen. And you would be like, oh, this is what happens when you let computers run stuff. So let's rewind. Tony's teaching that log logic course. There's also a critical thinking course. Mm -hmm. um, and we taught these before, back in the Tragedy and Hope online community in like 2010, 2011. So knowing that those needs had increased in the world and now we have better produ production capability and value, right? Let's do it again for the audiences. Um, you can find those courses at marketplace.autonomyagora.com and that has like all the courses that our marketing company has developed for colleagues of ours scott you know you mm -hmm. might might have something in there in the future but uh derek bros and john bush and uh benny wills and a whole bunch of other people with a lot of value in the business entrepreneur realm that's where their uh their offers are posted and tony's logic course i think is over there there's a bunch of free courses over there too yeah. so even if you're like i don't have any money well, how are you going to get money until you educate yourself and improve your offer to the world? And we give you some free ways to do that so that we can take away the obstacles and excuses. So all you have left is success. Mm -hmm. But it's not going to work if you don't go click and at least take some free stuff and get started. Yeah. So that's how. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I dig it, man. Like, it's just like it's a very, very high value thing. And I, I, I just really appreciate everything you have to offer there. So another thing that kind of I was hoping to ask, and I don't know how much you're able to uh, elucidate this for us a little bit, but I've heard you kind of uh, kind of hint to the fact that you're writing a book you're writing a book right now what's up with that are you able to talk about that at all the most back burner of my my projects but yeah okay well because <clears throat> the way it started was stefan Molino asked me mm -hmm. uh if i would do a truth about the rothschilds episode for him like if i would write it and do the research and he would present it right and and he paid me to do that mm -hmm. and i did it but then it never aired it because i think some cancel culture stuff started happening sure. so and he never ran it and then I was like, man, I did all this good work and I overdid it for him. So I basically, he wanted, he needed like 30 pages. I gave him over a hundred pages. And I'm like, just pick the 30 that you like and make your thing. Right. So now I'm like, I got this hundred page outline. I should just write a book. And at that time I had just written a foreword for this book, Sean Stone's new world order, a strategy of imperialism. And I'd written a 30 page forward for a 200 page book. I'm like, I already wrote an eighth of a book, dude. I could just do this. Right. Yeah, I got this outline. I know how to do this. So yeah, naivety squared. I get into that project and then I discover what, well, you're not going to make any money from a book. It's a, it's a loss leader. It's an expensive calling card, right? Cause I, what I didn't understand was you don't make enough off a book to actually do the marketing for a product, right? You would need like a $50 product to be able to support the marketing books. Don't do that. So books lose everybody money. And then you ship them to the conferences and don't sell them and ship them back. And they just end up being this pain. Right? So I was like, okay, there's some obstacles there, but I don't care about that. I'm not trying to make the book like a profit thing, but I just would like to be able to finish it. And it's an expensive process to research and write. Cause I can't do other things that make, so there's opportunity costs to it. Right? Yeah. So then I got into writing the book. So I got probably there, 200 pages will fit in this format. Well, right now I'm at 400 pages and I'm just scratching the surface because they, I found more archives once I started the project. I'm like, there's a mother load here. And then they've done so much in the past couple of years with this COVID thing that at the end of like my thinking of the first volume, I could have a set, I could have like, it was going to be one book. And I would have a chapter at the end. There's like, the, you know, the 21st century, the Rothschilds in the 21st century. Now that almost needs a whole book on its own. So now I'm at the point where I'm like, do I split it up into eras and then make it into a book set of readable books instead of like one big book or like two smaller books? I'm fighting with format and integrating new content and not losing it in the midst of like juggling uh, 10 other flaming chainsaws. 
Absolutely. Well, that sounds yeah. fascinating. Like I pictured it as like a Carol Quigley level, just like deep dive into like the Rothschild dynasty and just it's all in their own words, that, man. Yeah, it's, it's not it's, none of my opinion. I just show you like here's what the Jewish Encyclopedia of 1886 or whatever. I'm like I'm I'm telling their story over a span of 300 years using their own references and artifacts and keeping my opinion out of it because mm -hmm. I want it to be a useful book that's evergreen and is like here's landmarks and here's you know the references. Yeah, totally. You know, it's funny. So this interview came about and then I'll get like, this will all make sense in a minute. This interview came about because James Jordan, actually, you know, I did his show Liberty radio. Yep. He, he came through on his trip to, you know, he's down in Mexico now. Like he, he came, he's like, Hey, I'm going to be going through Nashville. So we had dinner and I was sitting there and I was telling him, I was like, you know, I'd love to interview Richard Grove someday, but I feel like I need to like get through tragedy and hopes. I'm trudging through it. I'm, you know, I'm, well, I'm listening to it. I'm listening to the John Loth version. I'm yeah. not familiar yeah. with that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm listening yes. to his version. I'm like, I feel like I owe it to him to at least get through that so I could have like some something to discuss with him. Right. And then I was like, but I feel like I should like, uh, you know, you, I don't know if you're familiar with the old Mortal Kombat game, like where it's like you defeat an enemy and then like you go up the totem pole to the next one. Right. And it's like I was like, OK, so I talked to LB and then I and then I need to finish Tony's logic course and then I'll, I'll have Tony on. Then maybe someday I'll have the opportunity to interview Richard. Right. And I'm sitting there at dinner with James and he's like, dude, just just do just hit him up right now. I'll put you in touch with this booker and we'll just do it right now. You know what I'm saying? And so <laughs> and so that's how that came about. But uh, but but in tragedy and hope, like the biggest thing that stood out to me like so far was like they're they're you know, Carol Cooley goes very like he's just very candid about like the Rothschild. He's like they they marry their first cousins. They're very in, into like maintaining their bloodlines. And I'm like, oh, like that's just uh, that's, that's a just nice a fact right there. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. All right. So I got a shortcut for you. Yes. Yes. So, I, so. I was hoping you'd pull out the document. Cam. All right. Like, there we go. It. There you go. Tragedy and Hope 101 is a summary by Joe Plummer, and he takes the Anglo-American establishment and tragedy and hope the big book so you're getting like 1500 pages summarized in like 180 right so you could read this book in a saturday afternoon because i did on a saturday afternoon years ago the next one is also a pretty small book it's called dope inc britain's opium war against the world and that would fall the it would overlap with the same type of history and then this is like the 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 cornerstone the chief cornerstone on the top right the pyramidion New World Order, a strategy of imperialism, because what Sean did was he traced one Rhodes scholar, uh, William Yandow Elliott. Look, there's uh, Sutton here. And uh, he shows how he had an amazing influence in American culture. Like he, you know, uh, mentored Kissinger and all these other people. So when you go back to the Anglo-American establishment's goal to bring America back into the British Empire, and then you look at the 20th century almost every major event in the 20th century and America's involvement in it is a function of the plan that's in this book. Now, when I first met Sean, I, I met him in New York city and we sat down, had coffee for like four or five hours in the first half hour. He said, Hey, would you write the forward to this book? Cause he picked up on what I had been laying down. Mm -hmm. And I was like, um, I don't know. Send me the manuscript. You know, he's it's his Princeton thesis for his history degree. So I knew it would be like good quality. Right. So he sent me the manuscript. I printed it out. I read the whole thing. And I was like, this is unassailable. Like I I'm trying to poke holes in the argument the whole way through. I'm like, no, this is, this is what it is. So I was like, uh, I would be proud to write the forward to it. And he does have a second edition coming out. Cause I think this is out of print awesome. and uh, yeah, we'll update the forward with Klaus Schwab and mm -hmm. the world economic forum. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. So there you go, man. Okay. So that's, that's a good, that's a good advice right there. I'm going to jump into that. So, and there's an audio book version. I'll tell you, I mean, the truth oh, yeah. is like, you can get this nice book by Joe Plummer, but he yeah. gives it to you on joeplummer.com for free. And I oh, bet nice. there's an audio book version on there too. Cause I helped him produce that. Oh, so nice. you could just listen to it and it, it's going to save you so much time and just give you this, the same gist, but Quigley has a lot of filler in his books, gotcha. tragedy and hope, especially to kind of lose people who aren't looking specifically for this right this I, is like the nuggets the map to the nuggets okay good to know good to know yeah. so on that note as we're kind of like winding down here like i know that you I, I love like your you've always got like a book that you pull out a book to reference something you know i love that and i know you, you're very big on like first edition so i was curious like what is your most prized possession like your best like first edition or your biggest treasure out of your whole book collection oh i mean probably if I thought more about it, I might have a different answer. But these would be my answers right now. I would say you get this book. 
casual view of America, the home letters of Solomon de Rothschild right mm. before the American Civil War. Now, I used to buy these. Here, let me, let's see what we paid for this. $10. Wow. $10. Yeah. Back in whatever year, right? Long time ago, 10 years ago. This book now goes for 3000 or 3500 Wow. online. And so I used to buy them for 10 bucks or 5 bucks and give them away to people all the time. Now I don't have that many copies left and I see they're really expensive. So the 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 writings in this book are prescient because Solomon de Rothschild, a 27-year-old kid who's sent here by his family to spec out what's going on, he tells you what the outcome of the Civil War is going to be before they even fight. It's wow. it's pretty legit history. If you want to look back at letters from 1861, he, he stayed with the richest families in the North, the richest families in the South. He was on the side of the Confederacy. He calls Lincoln a thief. Mm. So if you're looking for motive from a financial family that didn't like Lincoln, might have had something to do with their assassination, like you might check, you know, anyway, the, the more one, the more valuable one would be this book, The Last Will and Testament of Cecil mm. John Rhodes. Yep. Because it's it's edited by William T. Stead, who is Rhodes's partner in the conspiracy to bring America back into the British Empire. Right. And this is Rhodes. This is Stead's own copy of this book. Wow. So this is from the Review of Reviews library. And this is William T. Stead's copy of this book printed in 1902. Oh. And then Stead himself, he dies on the Titanic in 1912 because he wasn't getting along with the roundtable people anymore at that point. Um. And then I have some other like this. This is the centerpiece of a conspiracy that led to, you know, hundreds of millions of dead people in the 20th century and uh, the democide that surrounded communist Soviet Union, communist China, World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, Korea, everything in between was yeah. uh, function of the Anglo-American establishment. Plans yeah, for America. And that was like one of the biggest things you kind of woke me up to too. And then you know, as as the Quigley mentions it a lot in the in the first part of the book, at least the part of the book that I've read so or listened to so far. But uh, but just the idea of the Anglo-American establishment, like the Milner Roundtable Group, and all these 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 entities that are still like permeating into like what we're seeing now. It is just so fascinating. And that's that's what I love about Grand Theft World is that you take whatever they're whatever is in the news or whatever's going on currently, and you can pull it back. Oh, here's this guy. Here's that guy. Your history blueprint. You know, we didn't get into that here, but like just such Gosh, a, oh, let me yeah. click a button to make it work. Let's yeah, see. yeah. Brain. Show us the history blueprint here. This is fascinating. The brain. Let's see. Does that work there? All right. Brain. So yeah. like uh, a couple years ago, I did this film with John Taylor Gatto called The Ultimate History Lesson. And in that film, there's five hours of content. So from here, I could click into like, I don't know, hour two groups. These are groups talked about in hour two, right? Or I could go back in the hour two notes, references, links, any books, concepts, articles, anything that's talked about, it's mapped out and clickable for your reference, right? So in the ultimate history lesson, there's probably a thousand footnotes and they're in the film as well as in the brain model. So anyone who has questions about like the Prussian schooling or these sort of things, or you could just also see like Gatto's books. Right here, you can find Weapons of Mass Instruction, A School Teacher's Journey from 2008. He mentions that in hour five, right? Or I could just go to a thought, totally different thought on the same topic, critical thinking removed from public schooling. So you could go to the Common Core Standards Initiative and you could see this guy, David Coleman, who created the Common Core Standards Initiative is a Rhodes Scholar. He went to Oxford on the Cecil Rhodes Scholarship and there he is helping shape the world in the Anglo-American image that attacks your children. So, you know, useful stuff like that. I try to keep track of the people who are trying to keep track of us, you know? Yeah, that's so awesome. That's so awesome. And people can get a copy of that too, right? Uh, I think that's in the uh, the Freedom Vault. There's a link to it, but okay. they also get it with Grand Theft World membership. Oh, I didn't know that. That was so cool. The, okay, cool. Yeah, the, yeah, so the freebie to the audience here you guys came and you paid attention there you uh go. get info forward slash freedom vault and that's all one word freedom okay bunch Perfect. of free goodies including uh my presentation on the underground history of america mm -hmm. awesome awesome that's it so th so there's that and then i guess just i think that's gonna do it richard man like thank you so much like we're up on the hour here so just uh please please tell folks how they can go um uh, you know support you other than that like listen support all anything you want to plug 
well, it's not just about supporting me. It's about what I can do for you. So if you have a small business, you can go to autonomyunlimited.com. That's where we help small businesses in a freedom community. For individuals, you can go to getautonomy.info forward slash ignite. And for the Sunday night live streaming podcast, Grand Theft World, go to grandtheftworld.com. Thank you, Scott. Yeah, man. Well, thank you so much. Quite an honor, man. Like, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Like, I learned a lot. I took notes while you were uh, giving me some advice there. So it wasn't a complete, you know, I'll put it to good use here. Um, Just keep doing it, man. Just keep doing what you're doing. And I'm just very, very grateful for all the work that you and your team are doing. Um, Invaluable. Absolutely invaluable. And I get a lot of value out of it. So I hope everybody listening goes. There's links in the description. You guys go check it out. And please uh, just just keep learning and just don't uh, don't ever stop with that. All right, cool. Thanks, Richard. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Peace. Have a good one. Peace.